Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of January 13, 2019. Now that the new year is here, it's membership time in ACB. ACB affiliates are required to submit updated membership lists by March 15 of each year. This week, we congratulate the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind. NKCB has had a great start to the new year by already recruiting three new KCB Life members. Membership in the Kentucky Council of the Blind is open to anyone age 16 and over who lives in the state of Kentucky or within 25 miles of the state border. Dues are $8 for one year or $40 for a life membership. Membership in our chapters is also available. For more information or to pay dues with a credit card by phone, call 502-895-4598. The American Council of the Blind has been a strong supporter of audio and video description for many, many years, and ACB's Audio Description Project is celebrating its 10th birthday. Dr. Joel Snyder, director of the Audio Description Project, is featured on page 2. Joel briefly reviews the history of audio description, and he explains how it makes movies, DVDs, TV and streamed programming, museums, live theatrical performances, and much more very enjoyable and meaningful for those of us who cannot follow all of the action on stage or screen due to a visual impairment. Joel also tells us about resources on the ADP website that keep us up to date on what is being audio described on TV, on the internet, on DVD, and at the movies. Get all of the details on page 2. Does it make sense to hire people with disabilities, organizations of people with disabilities, agencies serving people with disabilities, and disabled people themselves have long answered this question with a resounding yes. Now, however, research and several major corporations are also answering yes to this question. Read the article on page 3 for the latest findings related to hiring people with disabilities. And on page 4 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. On the phone with me is Dr. Joel Snyder. Joel is the director of the American Council of the Blind's Audio Description Project, and he also has been involved in audio description in many, many different ways for a number of years, far longer than just with the ADP project with ACB. This occasion is the 10th anniversary of the ACB Audio Description Project, and I thought it would be great if we could have Joel visit with us and tell us about the accomplishments of the last 10 years, and also maybe a little bit of the additional history of audio description. So welcome, Joel. We're so glad to have you. Oh, great. Thanks. It's always great to chat with you, Carla, and um, and uh, be a part of Soundprints. Joel, 
The audio description project with ACB began in uh, actually began its full first full year of operation in 2009. That's right. That's right. But we were doing audio description long before that in many different ways. Well, not ACB, but you were coming to ACB conventions for many years, oh, doing sure. described movies and. DVS was out there um, with uh, WGBH, that's right, and doing all those those great um, descriptive videos that we all liked before videos went away, yeah. and, and and there were just many other uh, people who were getting into that arena, but but. Uh, just just give us a, a brief look at some of that, and then tell us where audio description has come and why the audio description project has been so important. Oh, sure. Um, well, thanks for the opportunity to do that, Carla. Um, audio description has been around in a formal sense um, since 1981, and, and that's when I began working with it, actually. It, it um, had its um, uh, genesis if you will, in performing arts here in the Washington, D.C. area where I'm based. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't say that uh, it was uh, invented or, or first uh, <laughs> thought of here uh, in the D.C. area because there'd been an actual master's thesis written about audio description in the 70s, and uh, there was some work done in Japan uh, on television uh, way back then. Um, mm. And even... Um, before that, actually, uh, uh, Chet Avery uh, in uh, suburban Virginia had been working for the Department of Education and trying to get them to, to think about doing something like uh, description. Uh, he, uh, as a blind man, was working there, uh, working with captions uh, for people who are deaf. So I said, well, why not something uh, for, for folks right. who are blind, mm -hmm. something comparable. So 81 is, is, is people look to that as the, the genesis of the first ongoing audio description service. And, um, you know, after a few years, that was, of course, uh, the, the work of the Washington Ear, the Washington, yes. D.C.-based radio reading service, and Margaret Fanstiel, uh, also a, a blind woman who uh, ran the Ear and uh, really championed audio description and, and uh, championed it and, and really was responsible for its growth in the early years. After a couple of years, we began to think about, you know, gee, television might work well. We tried to do description on a, a simul-sync with the radio uh, <laughs> while a television's playing, and for all kinds of technical reasons, that just didn't work out very well. I can imagine. But, that acted, but, but you know, the folks up in Boston at WGBH, Barry Cronin and Lori Everett, heard about that, and they said, well, no, wait a second, we could probably do that a little differently. We could use the secondary audio program uh, channel and actually make it, it would sync up perfectly. Um, and they were right. They were right. They came to us in Washington, and we uh, developed, um, golly, I think at least a half a dozen uh, programs for them that were then later broadcast. I wrote and voiced three um, uh, early American Playhouse programs with description. That was about 1985, 86, something like that. Um, and that was... Um, the birth of um, uh, the descriptive video service that became the descriptive video service or DVA, DVS, mm -hmm. which is um, uh, WGBH's brand name for audio description. And you're absolutely right; that um, led to the production of description on uh, videotape, 
which was very popular. Um, but of course, videotape didn't last very long, uh, not too much longer after that. Um, and, and also the problem there, I guess, is that videotape, you, you either had the description on there or you didn't. So to even rent a video at Blockbuster back in those days, you know, you had to have dual inventory if you were going to offer description at all. You had to have a set of tapes without the description and a set of tapes with the description because, you know, sighted people haven't figured out how important uh, uh, audio description can be to their own understanding of, of video. So oftentimes you find sighted people say, well, no, I don't want to hear all that other because I can see it and, and that's okay. Um, so it went on from there. Uh, movies began to pick up on it, um, and the FCC it, it began to, to realize how important description was, and that it's akin to captions. So they actually put forward a rule in uh, the early 1990s that would require description. Uh, I'm sorry, that that was actually a little later. It was the late in the 90s, around mm-hmm. 2000, when they mm-hmm. put forward their rule, and. Um, that was well and good, and networks began doing description, but the, the rule was overturned by the courts on some technical grounds, and it took 10 years before um, ACB and other entities who were champions of description were able to get legislation passed through Congress in 2010 that, um, and that legislation, part of it, uh, mandated description, and that was the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, and uh, we're we're living with that now, and uh, it's it's somewhat limited. You know, even now uh, it has increased. The mandate has increased to seven hours for each of nine broadcasters. But you know that there's so many hundreds and hundreds of hours of television on so many different channels that we're we're still just a drop in the bucket. That uh, um, in in the UK, uh, fully, I think they're going to be going up to reaching a 20 percent of all programming with description. Oh wow! So yeah, yeah, they really took off and ran with it, if you will. Uh, even though we developed it first in this country. Right. Um, and I do, I really stress that ACB was an important part uh, of all of this. Uh, there were players at AFB, the American Foundation for the Blind, as well. But ACB really uh, was an advocate, uh, a strong uh, booster of description. So only made sense that uh, ultimately they would develop this audio description project. So. The CVAA passed in 2010, but prior to that, ACB had... I guess we'll say formalized more, at least made it more formal yeah. that um, that we were interested in pushing uh, the continued push to develop audio description in a number of areas, <clears throat> not just movies or not just TV. That's right. I'm but, glad you mentioned that. But yeah. across the board, and so in in. 2009. Tell us what the difference was when the ADP actually became an entity as opposed to prior to the Audio Description Project becoming a a formal effort of ACB. Well, even in the 1900s, um, I know I was involved with uh, uh, coordinating and sponsoring two 
uh, major conferences of people working in audio description. And, and by and large, it, you know, we had media representation, but it had its birth, again, in performing arts with theater, and it, it moved from there into other art forms, other performing art forms, um, even opera and um, dance to a limited degree. Uh, dance is still um, rarely done with description, but ballet perhaps more often than any other dance uh, dance form. But uh, yeah, and museums also picked up on it, and so we had folks doing description in live settings like that, um, coming together to talk about description and and are we a field and are we a professional field and what's what's the future and such, and uh, uh, that discussion ACB was right there uh, a part of that whole discussion and uh, it was about uh, really in the 2007-2008 I had been doing description um, through my own company and through as a volunteer and then uh, also through the National Captioning Institute and I had a great discussion with Chris Gray I remember around 2007-2008 about you know how could we maybe formalize the promotion of audio description and even perhaps be involved in, uh, to, to a limited degree, the production of description. And uh, those discussions, it took a little while, and Carla, of course, you've been on the board of ACB for, for a while, so you know all about that. It, it takes a while for to get consensus, um, but we did, and uh, it was January of 2009 when we first uh, I opened our doors, although there are no uh, physical doors to open, <laughs> exactly. But we began putting together a, a, a website. I, I should also credit um, the organization, um, what had been called Audio Description International, which was something that I began with Barry Levine, uh, the late Barry Levine, who was a longtime ACB member, mm-hmm. and he was just so instrumental in getting a lot of this put together. Uh, and then ultimately, the idea of having a service organization housed uh, as a project of ACB just made all the sense in the world, uh, because, you know, the old phrase uh, among disability advocates, nothing about us without us, uh, it just made sense, it seemed to me, that an organization that's of people who are blind would take the lead in advocating, promoting uh, a service that is for people who are blind. So um, Barry was very much uh, involved, and Chris Gray, and as I say, 2009 uh, was when we first began uh, offering some projects and ideas. We had a, our first conference, uh, began to give awards, uh, began to boost um, description among children, um, and and to this day, we still have our our BADI program, Benefits of Audio Description in Education, which awards prizes to blind kids who write reviews of of described videos and films and such. And that's taken off like gangbusters. That's been a lot of fun. And um, um, some of your listeners may remember we've had um, we've had some of the the kids winners of the contest. Uh, actually present their essays at the national convention or at the mid-year meeting. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun, too. Mm-hmm. So we're, um, and I, I, I do have to say, I think perhaps the most uh, visible, if you will, part of the audio description project is our website, acb.org slash ADP. 
And um, I can't mention the website without crediting our webmaster, Fred Brack, who has been oh, with it from the very beginning. Absolutely. Uh, building it, and, and really it has become the go-to place for information about description. Really, it it really is. I mean, oh, yeah. it has just a wealth of information there, and and it it's it's constantly being updated. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. That it's cannot. Very much a living website. <laughs> it is far from a static page. No, we we update it. Uh, well, at least every week. Um, actually, more often than that, and we also um, actually, in a way, it's actually updated daily because we have a master list of what's being described on television. And that's uh, updated every day. You can go, you know, right now, you could look at, uh, we're recording this on the 12th of January, and you could go and find out, it's about almost 2.30 Eastern time, and you could find out what's on television with description right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a good service. Plus we yes. have, you know, what museums, what performing arts companies by state have description and, and a lot more. Movies well, too. yes, um, you DVDs. have the the latest DVDs. That's right. Um, DVDs. Uh, uh, turned out, you know, the the videotape thing went away, but it, it turned out, of course, that DVDs actually even more appropriate for description because you can turn it on and off, um, as opposed to what we were saddled with with video cassettes. So. Uh, DVDs are very important to, to all of this, and ultimately uh, that will probably fade and be replaced by streaming to a great extent. But even there, you know, you can turn on and off the description. Um, so as that develops, um, and, and I think another, another technical side of things that will develop is the use of smartphones to deliver audio description uh, in the home or, or at movies. Joel, um when a person goes to the movies today, it's it's real different than when they went to the movies, say, 15 years ago or oh, whatever. Sure. And they would go 15 years ago or 20 years ago, and they might be able to find a described movie um, if they were lucky, and they might have to go to a particular performance oh, yeah. or whatever. So what is it like for a person who wants to take advantage of audio description today, and uh, how is it, it, let's say they go with a a friend. So tell us about the process at a movie theater today um, as it relates to that person, and also uh, how, if it in any way affects the person who's attending the movie with them. Right. Well, you know, you're absolutely right, Carla, because you remember when movies first started doing description, they were mm-hmm. few and far between, right. and you had to call in advance and find out if this movie was going to have description, and very few of them did. Now, it is so wonderful to be able to note that just about every major commercial release um, has an audio description track, and, and actually, um, beyond that, the Department of Justice has... Uh, their awareness of the importance of description has grown so that um, they have acknowledged movie theaters being part of the American Americans with Disabilities Act, and uh, uh, they have made it very clear that museums and movie theaters need to be accessible. Um, and, of course, that means if a movie theater, the physical space, has to be accessible, it means the movie producer has to provide an audio description track as well as captions and such and um, 
it is so great now because every every commercial film, major commercial films now have description. People are still, um, by and large, people still need to get a headset from the movie theater uh, usher uh, when you buy your ticket, for instance, and use that headset to hear the audio description track. Even that has improved. Uh, You know, we got so many complaints not too long ago about the headsets not working, the batteries aren't being replaced, uh, they would ask about description and nobody knew what they were talking about. That's happening less now. Um, And in fact, that's been part of the interpretation of the ADA as well, that uh, no, uh, movie theaters have to train uh, their staff and keep the equipment uh, up to date. Ultimately, um, I think that system will always be in place um, because you can't you can't really require a person to have a smartphone in order to have access. Right. Uh, they will always be providing the headset. But ultimately, as more and more people have smartphones, then folks can on their own download the audio description track to uh, to a particular movie, uh, go to the theater. And the the app on their phone actually hears the movie, actually listens to the movie, and automatically syncs the audio description to the soundtrack. So um, you can use your own smartphone, use your own earbud. You don't have to worry about uh, is it charged up or not or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I think ultimately that will that's the wave of the future. The the hang up there is just. Uh, so certain legalities and licenses uh, from the, the movie producers and movie theaters are this is changing but you know movie theaters have traditionally been very wary of anybody having a smartphone out uh, during the screening of a film because they're concerned about piracy and, and they, they should be um, but nowadays um, when you use when you use one of those apps it automatically disables the recording function um, and I, I think that's loosening up a bit at movie theaters now, so that using your smartphone to get the description will be more and more common. Joel, let's talk about another related, at least what to me in my mind is related, uh, issue to the movie tracks. Um, at one time, and I don't know if it's still true, because I have to say right up front, I am not a movie goer and <laughs> I really don't watch TV so sure. therefore um these these things you know my my perception of something might be 15 years old <laughs> <laughs> and and then it would be modern as far as I'm concerned sure. but um I I remember going to a mid-year meeting one time and you were there talking about uh, audio description. Then I think we were calling it video description. Um, well, the, yeah, the, the FCC calls it officially video description. Okay. And okay. Yeah, that's beyond me as yeah. to why, and I've had yeah. that little battle with them. But, yeah, it's, yeah. The, same, it's the same thing. There are too many different names yes. for what we do. Well, we hadn't, we hadn't transitioned to calling it audio description yeah, okay. yet. But we were the DVDs were... Uh, the DVDs were out on the market at the time. Because our discussion was when DVDs were coming out and DVDs had so much more space on them than did a, um, than did the old VHS tapes. That's right. And, and so everybody, I remember being at a, at a, at another 
um, uh, mid-year meeting, and everybody was saying, "Oh, this will be wonderful. This is this is fantastic because now they'll include the 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 video description track, and all will be well." Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. Um, that was probably end of the 90s, early right. 2000s. A few years after that, we were at this other meeting that I'm remembering. The DVDs were out. Um, the tracks were in the movie theater, but the movie theater had a track, and the DVD did not always have the track, That's or vice right. versa. Still and, happens. Yeah. yeah, and okay, and you were explaining why that was sometimes true. So can you... Tell us, because um, I'm sure that that is still uh, somewhat of a problem. Yeah. Uh, and so tell us why that is so. It's less of a problem as, as the, the industry has become more aware of the demand for description. But, yeah, you know, this is, it took me a little while to kind of understand why a movie would come out in the movie theater and it had description and the DVD would come out maybe, you know, a couple months later. And then not have description, and I thought, well, that's ridiculous. It's it's already been created. What? Well, the the DVD sections, if you will, of movie producers, it's usually called like a home entertainment division, and those divisions, um, I guess, when you have a huge company like uh, Paramount Pictures or Sony or whoever it may be, mm-hmm. um, they have these divisions, and sometimes they are operating. If you will, with blinders, they don't know what other divisions are doing within their own company. It's the old: and the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's it, doing. It really seemed to be a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, there were, you know, were technical issues in the beginning years, and I say that because you're absolutely right about there being more space on a DVD, but it wasn't unlimited. And so people would say, "Well, no, we have to reserve space for uh, Spanish." Mm-hmm. and Portuguese and uh, Italian and French, um, and that eats up space. Yes. And we want to have the director's commentary. That eats up space. Yes. I said, well, there, there's no room at the end. Uh, we can't put description in there. That is, I, I, I don't hear that anymore because nowadays the DVDs uh, can accommodate so much more data and information. So it, it's easier for them to put it on. But still, you end up with... For, I'll give you a current example, the movie Black Panther. Um, it, it came out in the States, uh, it came out worldwide. The UK, uh, they really do a better job as far as getting uh, description created and produced. They produced the description for the movie of Black Panther, and that is the description that ended up on the DVD, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I've gotten many, many calls, but why, why is Black Panther being voiced by someone with a British accent? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a problem necessarily with British accents, but, uh, the, you know, but it just speaks to this whole idea of the movie is done one place, and then the DVD is done another place, and um, sometimes we had the... We, we well, we have had uh, the situation where the description is produced for the movie theater, and then it's produced again for the DVD. Mm-hmm. 
And it's produced again for the streaming version. Yeah. It's it's a little crazy. It's kind of the same type of thing that we were discussing uh, with the Marrakesh Treaty issues. That's right. Where a book would be brailed in Britain, and then it could not be brought into the United States because of copyright issues. So, uh, like Harry Potter, it had to be brailed again in the United States. (laughs) So it sounds, uh, I hadn't thought of that as being something similar. No, uh, very, but hearing you're you, absolutely right. Yeah, that that's been yeah. brought up, and uh, it, it's just uh, you know, and and in fact, with respect to the Marrakesh Treaty, the Motion Picture Association of America, as I have been told, uh, you know, initially was not a fan uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> um, and in the same way, they were slow to uh, understand the importance of description, mm-hmm. and I think it's a lot better now. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it that's a good thing. Yeah. So some of the things that the Audio Description Project has done in the last ten years, you mentioned the um trainings. And oh, sure, yeah. I was convention coordinator in Orlando in two thousand nine when you did your first training. Oh, okay, yeah. And had your first institute and yeah. um I think you did three days of, of That's right. One and three days yeah, I mean I mean you were there all week long. Oh yeah. Doing <laughs> really, really and and from the beginning that those trainings and those institutes and it's it's still true today, when you do those those sessions, those those um activities uh, those are at a professional level oh yeah those i like to think so yeah. oh yeah i mean you can if you go down through that program and and read that program joel i get tired just reading it <laughs> <laughs> really it is so packed with information and and with um what that describer needs to know yeah. I, I think sometimes people think that anybody can just be a describer if they've got a nice voice and they have a pretty good command of of adjectives sure. and and yeah. so on and they can they know that you know which color teal is and what color turquoise <laughs> is they can somehow be a describer right and right. while that may be true that is not all that goes into being a describer. No, that's right. It, it is a, a complex undertaking. Yes. And the three days is a, a beginning, yes. really, an introduction to yes. all the different aspects that are there. And and actually, that speaks to an issue that um, is uh, bubbling around, which is, is sim- and has been, um, is this the quality of description mm-hmm. that that's people correct. hear, even with movies uh, and DVDs, but and certainly on television, too, uh, and even, you know, in performing arts and such, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where sometimes, you know, I've heard people say, you know, better no description than bad description. Than bad description. Because a, yes. a person new to it will hear someone... Mm-hmm in their ear going on and on and it it's not an enhancement it's a distraction mm-hmm. and then that person doesn't go back uh, and figures well audio description is just not uh, helpful right. uh, but it really can be if it's done sparingly and uh, succinctly and vividly and that's what we try to focus on in the in the trainings but you're right we've had um, I think it's 15 of them now mm-hmm. over the the last 10 years um, we have one coming up in February 2019, 
Uh, we, we do them at the mid-year meeting in Washington, and then in the summer we do them uh, in conjunction with the conference wherever that's being held. So, mm -hmm. of course, July in Rochester. Right. Right. Yes. Well, and a couple of other things that have sure. been sort of milestones in the last 10 years <clears throat> and, and that are certainly related to the project. Um, when, uh, when you were involved with the description of the eclipse, yes, that was amazing. Events, yeah. <laughs> yes, the, that, that total solar eclipse, that was oh, something. Yeah. And, um, Presidential uh, inaugurations as yes. well. Yes. Uh, in conjunction with, uh, well, ACB in conjunction with ABC. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so that's, that's uh, we've done that. Um, well, I did that even back uh, when uh, President Obama was inaugurated the, the first yes. time, and then his second uh, inauguration, and, um, and then most recently when President Trump was inaugurated. Yes. And so th those are just real, um, those, are, those are huge stepping stones along yeah. the way to more and more and more description. Uh, there has also been, in the last few years, um, big announcements about uh, agreements with different uh, different internet uh, providers, if you oh, will, like true. Netflix and Hulu yes. and so on. Tell us about those a little bit. Yes, um, and here again, it's ACB that has been the leader. You know, I, Netflix is is actually, as we speak now, you know, uh, a really a significant provider of description. They have embraced it, which is a wonderful thing. But you know, it was only a few years ago when they they weren't oh, doing it. Oh, you, you are kidding! They were not. <laughs> yeah, and and there was even a you know what is this? Is it resistance to something yes. new or whatever? And yes. ACB, you know, just got right in there mm -hmm. and um, entered into. Um, uh, I guess it mediation negotiation yeah. with. Like the, some, I think uh, that was structured negotiations. Structured nego it? There you go. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, and lo and behold, they embraced it and are running with it, and they're they're benefiting from it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and we we recently um, uh, concluded a, a structured negotiation with Hulu as well. Mm -hmm. So you'll see uh, more description. Well, you'll see description at all with Hulu productions. Amazon has been doing, I don't know if there was a, any sort of negotiation with Amazon, but Amazon picked up on it as well. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, the streaming services are, are, are going to grow. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, the um, major networks are getting into it. They see the handwriting on the wall, I think, and the film companies and such. Mm -hmm. So um, it's good that we've gotten in there early and shown folks that streaming it can be done with the description. It works just fine on Netflix and, and Amazon and such. So you're right, that's an important development, and ACB's really been uh, the leader in making that happen. So when an individual wants to find out about things that are happening in audio description, whether they want to find out what's on TV tonight, or right, they sure. want to find out if a if a movie is audio described. Uh, if they want to purchase a DVD, they can right. find links to do that. Oh, I'm they glad can, you mentioned that. Yes, that's uh, probably um, one of the more popular pages on the website. Mm -hmm. Is people looking to see what is available on DVD and that how has do description? They get it? And if you find it mm -hmm. on our list, you can be assured that you're getting 
the version of the DVD that uh-huh. does indeed have a description, because sometimes mm-hmm. that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can click on it, and it goes right to Amazon.com, where you can buy it. Um, it's not a rental option, but you can... Uh, well, I, I take that back, because some... Um, sometimes the Amazon um, function allows you to rent a DVD and play it and turn on the description then, but um, uh, when it's when you have a streaming option. Yeah, through your Amazon Prime account? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Uh, but in any event, you can certainly buy the DVD. It's shipped to you, and you, you get it with the, it has description. You can have that invoked for you. Um, and uh, ACB gets whatever it is, a nickel or something for every <laughs> DVD that's purchased through Amazon. I oftentimes tell people to go to our ADP page and buy a couple of refrigerators or something because <laughs> we'd get even more. You know, it'd be a dollar or something for every refrigerator you buy or whatever, something oh. like that. But, um, yeah, and that's turned out to be, um, I, I think we've... You know, it's, it's modest. We've we've probably mm-hmm. reaped a, upwards of a thousand dollars a year just in those mm-hmm. referrals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel, so, so if I want to know what's on, uh, 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 what's on Netflix or whatever, is that also? Are their listings included yep. on yes. the page? Yes, they are, um, mm-hmm. and that's a relatively new development. And again, I'll tip my hat to Fred Brack because mm-hmm. uh, you know we all saw. The streaming services beginning to have more description, and we figured, mm-hmm. well, people want to know uh, what's yes. what's going to have description, what's not. So, Fred has a listing for Netflix, for iTunes. Um, don't have the site up in front of me, but I think there's Amazon is on there as well, mm-hmm. um, etc. Et so, um, the other thing I should mention too, we, we were talking about DVDs, is. Um, uh, he, here's another person I'll mention who's been just great uh, in the, the developing description. That's Tom Litkowski, uh who is an ACB member, I'm sure, and uh, head of vice president of accessibility for Comcast. Well, Comcast has took the lead in developing accessible set-top boxes. And um, the point I'm getting at is that the DVDs themselves don't usually speak the menus aloud. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult sometimes to know how do you turn on the description. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a, with a voice control like uh, Comcast has, uh, it's easier to use that um, and get description for a television broadcast, for instance. Mm-hmm. So that's an important part of it. Um, now, are some of the other companies, they, they also are, there's been a lot in the last couple of years about those accessible menus right. and so on because uh, I, th- I think it wasn't it 2016 that um, some of those regulations from right. the uh, um, the uh, uh, Communication and Video yep. Accessibility Incredible. Act from 2010 went yeah, into yeah. effect in 2016. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and some folks have actually licensed the mechanism from Comcast. Others have developed a different way of, of doing it, but yeah, they they have been covered under the CVAA, so that should be that mm-hmm. should not be as big a an issue as it has been in yeah. the past. There may still be hurdles, but um, oh, not yeah. as large <laughs> yeah. as yeah. they used to be. Yeah, uh, I mean, just the fact that for television, for instance, um, you <laughs> if you watch the Super Bowl, if you're a football fan, say mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and and you want to. 
you, you like what the sportscasters are doing or whatever, but you want to hear, what, what is the description like? Well, you're not going to have an opportunity to, because if you turn on the secondary audio program channel, you're going to get Spanish translation. Okay. There's only that one uh, secondary channel, and that's unfortunate. We're working on that with the FCC to make more secondary audio channels available so that you can get Spanish translation, but you can get your description as well. Maybe you can get your Spanish audio description as well, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. You know, so Uh I think that is going to come around. It's just a matter of some of the technical uh, issues being being Mm -hmm. getting worked out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Joel, um, let's be sure that people know where that site is, where that website is. ACB.org. Slash ADP, Audio Description Project. All right. So go visit there, see all of the different resources that are available. And we're on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, I think we're just past now... Well past two thousand likes on Facebook. It's oh, that's relatively good. recent, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's really good. That's yeah. great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joel. All we right, really Paul. enjoyed it, and congratulations on ten years of great audio description services and training lots of describers. And we're looking forward to lots more to come. Oh yeah. Thanks so much, Carla. Thanks for for getting the word out. Page three. Our next article was posted by Kelly Gask on the ACB Leadership List on Friday, December 28, and it is entitled, Hiring People with Disabilities is Good Business. This article is also from the New York Times. Microsoft, Bank of America, and CVS are just a few big companies that profit from their proactive employment practices. For years, companies have maintained low expectations about hiring people with disabilities. Most of these companies believed that employees with disabilities could not perform well in the workplace and that actively hiring them would drag company performance and profits down. Thankfully, over time, many employers have come to understand that these perceptions are untrue, and new research strongly suggests that the opposite, that hiring people with disabilities is good for business. A recent study has shown for the first time that companies that championed people with disabilities actually outperformed others, driving profitability and shareholder returns. Revenues were 28% higher, net income 200% higher, and profit margins 30% higher. Companies that improved internal practices for disability inclusion were also four times more likely to see higher total shareholder returns. These findings presented in a report from Accenture A-C-C-E-N-T-U-R-E, in partnership with Disability I-N and the American Association of People with Disabilities, give companies a new reason to hire people with disabilities. The results are based on an analysis of the financial performance of 140 companies that average annual revenues of $43 billion and participated in the Disability Equality Index an annual benchmarking tool that objectively rates companies' disability policies 
and practices. What exactly are these exemplary companies doing? Well, Bank of America brought together 300 people with intellectual disabilities to create a support services team to manage fulfillment services and external client engagement. Microsoft built a successful disability hiring program specifically for people on the autism spectrum. The program, designed to attract talent, is a multi-day hands-on academy that gives candidates an opportunity to meet hiring managers and learn about the company as an employer of choice. And CVS Health refocused its training programs to capitalize on characteristics, creativity, problem-solving ability, and loyalty that people with disabilities often demonstrate. The new research identifies five common denominators among such organizations. First, they hire people with disabilities, ensuring that they're represented in the workplace. Second, they carry out practices that encourage and advance those employees. Third, they provide accessible tools and technologies paired with a formal accommodations program. Fourth, they generate awareness through recruitment efforts, disability education programs, and grassroots-led initiatives. Fifth, they create empowering environments through mentoring and coaching initiatives. I lost my leg due to bone cancer at age 12. Since then, I have fought as a citizen, attorney, and legislator for the civil rights of people with disabilities. All of us deserve to be valued equally and provided the opportunity to participate fully in our society. I was brought up in the disability rights movement. My uncle, President John F. Kennedy, left an important legacy on this front. Influenced by his experiences with his sister, Rosemary, President Kennedy witnessed firsthand how differently she was treated, how often she was ignored and excluded. He became the first president to make equality and social justice for people with disabilities a priority for his administration. The last law that he signed before he died was the Community Mental Health Act, which called for an end to custodial isolation and created America's network of community mental health centers. Congress has since passed more than 120 laws expanding disability rights, forever changing public attitudes. But it was only when I went to college in the 1970s that I came of age politically and really thought about the issue of disability rights. It happened after I heard Judith Human, a disability rights advocate who contracted polio as an infant, give a speech and call disability a civil rights issue. I'd never heard that comparison before. I realized that millions of disabled people were unjustly being left out of daily life. Ms. Human inspired me to become an advocate myself. I committed myself to this cause because of people like Joseph Pabin, P-A-B-I-N. He graduated from college with a degree in computer science and a 3.5 grade point average, an impressive resume 
that easily got him in the door for job interviews. But once he showed up, interviewers noticed his speech impediment and told him they doubted he could successfully interact with customers. Mr. Pabin looked for a full-time job for three years without finding one, and his self-esteem plummeted. Ultimately, he contacted Bender Consulting Services, a career placement program that recruits, screens, and hires people with disabilities for professional positions with private sector and government employers. Highmark offered him a full-time position in information technology. He has thrived at the company, working directly with customers for four years now. As we head into the new year, it's important to recognize how far we've come. 28 years ago, the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed, prohibiting discrimination against individuals with disabilities. I still remember standing alongside my father in the Rose Garden watching President George H.W. Bush sign the bill into law, forever engraving it into his legacy. But when it comes to employment, a cornerstone of the American dream, we have failed to live up to the promise of this historic law. Many employers have yet to recognize that people with disabilities can contribute economically if sought out and accommodated. Americans with disabilities, a population of 50 million people, more than one in every five, still face numerous challenges in entering and participating in the workforce. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, only 29% of Americans aged 16 to 64 with a disability were employed as of June 2018, compared with nearly 75% of those without a disability. The unemployment rate for people with disabilities who are actively seeking work is 9.2%, more than twice as high as for those without a disability, 4.2%. The United States labor market is at its strongest in decades, and possibly ever. But all too many people with disabilities remain without jobs. The Accenture analysis reveals this inspiring statistic. Hiring only 1% of the 10.7 million people with disabilities has the potential to boost the GDP by an estimated $25 billion. Once companies are aware of these potential economic benefits, they should be motivated to bring persons with disabilities into the workforce to thrive as never before. Hiring them also gives companies fresh insights into developing and marketing products and services that meet the needs and preferences of consumers with disabilities, the third largest market segment in the United States, according to the Office of Disability Employment Policy. To start, corporations should participate in the Disability Equality Index. As a New Year's resolution for corporate America, it's hard to do better than to pledge to hire people with disabilities. Yes, we can do it because it always feels good to do what's right. But now it turns out that reaching this next frontier for corporate social responsibility is also good business. APH's Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. 
It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Page 4, The Soundprints Calendar. January 14, ACB Next Generation will have its January nationwide conference call at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, open to members nationwide who are 40 years of age and under. Call 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. With questions, contact Amanda Selm at 502-750-1774 or email alsmoot, S-M-O-O-T, 87 at gmail.com. On January 17, ACB Next Generation will have its nationwide social committee call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. January 18, GLCB will hold its next roundabout with education and technology from 3.30 to 5, discussion time from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, games and crafts 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On January 20, the KSB alumni will hold a board meeting at 8 p.m. by telephone. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On January 21, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On January 22, ACB Next Generation will have its Organizational Committee Conference Call. This is for the nationwide ACB Next Generation Group at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On January 23, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a Peer Support Group Meeting. From noon to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office at 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. January 24 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group Meeting in Louisville. This will be at United Crescent Hill Ministries from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. Individuals experiencing vision loss or who have had vision loss for several years are invited to attend this meeting. For more information call 502-895-4598. On January 25, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will hold a workshop on leather crafting from 10 to noon p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Reservations are required. Call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689.
on January 25, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout education and technology from 3.30 to 5, tip sheet 5 to 5.30, page turners and tri-state library users meeting 5.30 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, KCB Next Generation activity, games and crafts from 7 until 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On January 26, ACB Next Generation will have a Let's Get Social activity on Saturday evening, 8 p.m. by conference call. ACB members and individuals 40 and under are invited to join this nationwide Saturday night chat focusing on a designated topic. More details coming soon. For questions, call Amanda Salm at 502-750-1774 or email alsmoot, S-M-O-O-T, 87, at gmail.com. January 27, ACB Families will have its parent support group meeting. The call is at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796-096. January 28 is the next Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana membership call at 7 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. January 28 is the Savvy Budget Committee meeting at 8 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom conference line at 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595-193. Looking ahead to February, on February 1, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its quarterly meeting. There will be roundabout activities from 3.30 to 4.30. Registration for the meeting and bargain table will open at 4.30. The cost is $6 per person. Wanda Henderson, director of the TARC-3 program, will be our speaker beginning at 5.15. Dinner is at 6 and other business will be conducted following dinner. Activities will conclude around 8.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Please sign up by calling 502-895-4598. February 23-26 to 26 is the ACB Mid-Year Meeting and Legislative Seminar. This will be held in Alexandria, Virginia. For more information, visit acb.org slash 2019-presidents-legislative-meetings. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.